Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm the lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, welcome everybody. It's Derek Van Ness, your host here on the Small Business Big Life Podcast. And today I'm excited because we're going to get to nerd out with my uh, my new very good friend, Armand Kroom. And Armand and I uh, have tried to record this once before and due to my terrible internet that day, we had to redo it. So I just uh, appreciate you being here on the show, Armand. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. And I think you put too much blame on yourself. I don't, th- I don't <laughs> think it was all you. <laughs> Whatever it was, we were we were struggling. So, uh, I I just I I'm excited to talk to you because we got to nerd out a little bit about financial stuff and and building a financial business. I have a lot of people who are real estate investors who listen to the show. A lot of investors in general. A lot of people who uh, have small businesses that are related to the financial field. So, I think it's going to be really interesting to hear both what your business does and how you've been able to build it because you know. You're not doing it today, but last time you were sitting in front of your wine cellar, which is pretty cool. Uh, I think most people would love to have one of those. And the fact that you've got one of those in California <laughs> says everything you need to know because most people's apartments are about the size of a wine cellar in California. <laughs> so, so might you, be, might be. <laughs> yeah. So you're doing, you're doing all right. So Armand, before we jump into this, tell everybody who's listening, like who you are as a human, what you do for work and where they can find you online. All right. Well, first, let's let's talk about where they can find me online. I'm on croomfinancial.com. Uh, if you want to check out the financial advisory business, if you want to check out the blog, it's thefinancialeffect.com. Uh, it's where you can find me. You can find that on Instagram. You can find that on Facebook. I have a huge following on Facebook, uh, thefinancialeffect.com. You can, uh, or the financial effect. And you can certainly uh, find me just as easily there. As far as me, myself, uh, I am a Navy veteran. Um, I you know, went to school in Tulane under ROTC scholarship, uh, got into the Navy. Uh, if some of you guys remember, I, you know, I'm getting old, uh, but uh, when George W. Bush said mission accomplished, uh, me and my ship came in and relieved the Lincoln and continued to fight the war while, uh, <laughs> while everyone else was uh, accomplished. Uh, after the Navy, I realized that I don't like working for people and I don't like people telling me what to do. Uh, so I made the decision since I had gotten a degree in finance and I wanted to do something in the financial world. Uh, I tried my hand in financial planning and uh, got linked up with a company called First Command Financial Planning, where I mostly work with military members, helping them build their clients or build their assets. Excuse me. Uh, and a lot of that starts with a budget. And being transparent about that budget, uh, and especially since, you know, when you go on deployment, uh, your spouse is left behind to try to manage a house, your budget, maybe their job, kids, 
and just life in general without your partner. And so you need something that can you can communicate fairly easy to about the family budget because the family budget doesn't stop just because you're on deployment. And so now I've been doing this for 16 years uh, and I decided, uh, you know, after I built my practice to kind of reach out to other people, I believe that uh, having a budget is 50% of the solution uh, as far as your finances go. And so I want people to make better decisions with their money, start off with a budget and really try to figure out how to communicate with their spouses and their family about how a budget should be ran. Very cool. Well, I have a lot to say about all of that, but before we do that, I always like to start off with like, what is, if you could give one piece of advice to the listeners, a lot of them are entrepreneurs, investors, people who want to do well with, with their life, uh, something that you've learned along the way or that's been really powerful for you, what would you share with them? You know, when you are, especially when you're starting a business, uh, I was very adamant to not let anything get in the way of that. Not my wife, not my children, not anything. Uh, I was willing to be broke and do this. Um, mm-hmm. I th- This had to be successful. And I was willing to work 12 hours a day, 16 hours a day sometimes, uh, willing to let people tell me no, suffer through the embarrassment of people telling me no, slamming the door in the face, friends who all of a sudden don't know how to return my phone calls, the whole nine. Just don't let anything get in your way of what you're trying to accomplish. And if, 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 you, if this is something you really want, you have to be able to get in the mud and, and just dig it out sometimes. All right. I love that. Just don't stop. That's what I tell myself sometimes. Just keep going. As long as you keep going, you're going to keep going. And that's stay in the race. You know, I, I got to remind people, there's many times at night when I've walked to the parking lot and had that little frog in your, in your throat because you're yeah. about to cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've swallowed a few of those. <laughs> so don't act like, let's not act like I'm just like a warrior of 300 and like nothing has affected me. <laughs> Listen, man, there there's no way around, unless you're a robot, you're going to feel those things and everybody's got their way of dealing with them. But here's the truth. You have to deal with them right? If you don't deal with them, they will deal with you. Right. And, uh, and it's better the first way. So, you know, kudos to you to be, to be willing to do the things. And everybody who started a business knows this. When you first start, you kind of suck. You're not very good. You make a lot of mistakes. You think you're smart. Then you realize you aren't. Then you think you're dumb. Then you realize you aren't, but you keep going. And, and that's really it. So, but I want to, I want to get to a couple things. Um, you kept, you probably said the word budget a dozen times and like, listen, every client I talk to, to them, budget is like a four letter word, right? Not the good kind. So how do you help people reconcile having a budget without it feeling like it's going to strangle my lifestyle? Like mentally that word has such a negative connotation because people, I think a lot of times think a budget is only for people who don't have enough money and nobody wants to feel that way. So, so how do you help people reconcile that and think of budget as a powerful tool? So as a, well, first of all, let me, let me, the origins of this, I call it cash flow management system or budget. Uh So the origins of this is, is that I got married. I had a child. I was trying to start a business and, you know, 
Suffice it to say, I was a broke financial advisor, which is by far one of the most embarrassing things you can be, a broke financial advisor, yeah. trying to manage a wife, a family, and a kid. And yeah. you find yourself in this situation, you know, I just got married to this beautiful woman who, gorgeous brown eyes, and you just don't want to say no to them. You just, yeah. you don't want to say no. And even when you do say no, you have to have a rationale or reason behind being able to tell no. It's it's really hard to be a financial leader in your house without some kind of cash flow management that both of you understand. Mm-hmm. When can we go out? When can we not go out? When can we buy the house? When can we not buy the house? What can we afford? What can't we afford? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to make that decision. So even if you're making $300,000 a year, I, 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 you know, me and my wife, are on a budget. We have a cash flow management system uh, so that one, it brings the anxiety of me, you know, anxiety for me down. Uh, and on top of that, it allows uh, my wife to know whether or not we can afford to do something. How much can we spend on a vacation? And so what we do is we use a bucket system. And, and if you subscribe to my uh, website, we, we teach how to use, it's kind of like the envelope system, but with the bank account so mm-hmm. that you can log on. And so what I've learned with, especially me and my wife, one of us is a saver. She's a spender. She wants to do things. Yeah. I like to save. Uh, and it's really hard to explain to someone why you have, you know, $5,000 in the account and you're not spending it. Why, why, why can't we spend it? Mm-hmm. But if it's in the emergency savings account, well, it's for emergencies. If it's in this type of account, well, then it's for that. And we can save for whatever it is that you want. So it makes it a little bit easier uh, to do uh, to lead your family financially and protect your asset, which is the money coming in and your cash mm-hmm. by having a cash flow system so that your significant other, because your wife isn't always the one spending all the money. Sometimes it's so the, the husband's. Yeah. So that both of you understand that if Derek invites us out to dinner tonight and we're going to Ruth's Chris and there's only $40 in the account, either we're only ordering the appetizer or we're going to have to decline yeah. going <laughs> for this this night. And so you just you just have to have a create a situation where it can be a logical discussion. And so if you don't have a, a cash flow system that your your spouse can log on and see where they are. You can't really have a logical discussion. And that's where fights start to happen. So Mm -hmm. I would implore you, even if you're a business owner, I I definitely, if you're a business owner, you have to have a way to pay your family first, Mm -hmm. let your spouse manage that money. And that way you put a cap on how much you pay your family. That way it's not a debate. So if you make $30,000 one month, and you pay your family only 10, then then they get 10 and you keep 20. If you make $5,000, then somehow you need to figure out how to get them 10 because you (laughs) came up short. But at the end of the year, if you were able to save up $100,000 and you say, now you can reinvest back into your business and your family's taken care of, they have their budget and then you can create your own. So it is an is actually... As a leader of a household of finances, it is an empowering thing that you can do. It is not a four-letter word. I I agree 100%. 
I just know that a ton of people resist it. So I was kind of wondering when you have that conversation, how many people's eyes glaze over or how many people start looking down at the, you know, they don't want to make eye contact uh, because it's a, it is a big deal. And what I hear you saying, Armand is every dollar has a plan, right? When you don't have a plan for dollars, guess what happens? They just fly away. Right. And you may or may not have something to show for those, but I, I have definitely learned that, you know, there's, there's necessary expenses and then there's, you know, discretionary income. But if you don't have a plan for your money, someone else does, and they're going to take, take it from you if you don't. So, and and I would tell you this, sir, it's almost, if you work with me as your financial advisor, it's pretty Mm -hmm. much a requirement. (laughs) Good, good. Well, listen, I have always believed that for people to be successful, they have to have three things. They have to have a vision. You know, you got to know why you're doing what you're doing. If you don't know why it doesn't last, right? You got to have structure, which is this budget that you're talking about, a plan, and you got to have accountability. You have to answer to someone. So the fact that they have an advisor like yourself, they're going to have to talk with you one, two, three times a year, however however you do it. I think you said three times, um, at least three times. Then uh, they know they have to answer to someone for it. And amazingly, when you have those three things, stuff gets done. And when you don't, it doesn't happen as consistently. So I, I love that you've got you've got those in place. So, so, so tell me about this. You talked about the frog in the throat. You talked about getting started. There are a lot of people out there who, you know, their business is scratching and clawing. It's, it's coming out of the trenches here. They're trying to take that next step up. What was the big transition for you? What do you think really helped you get from, Hey, we're barely making it to, Hey, I'm, I'm really starting to build a business here. Was it a mindset? Uh, was there something that forced you to get better? Was it systems? What, what did you do to kind of make that transition from barely making it to really starting to do well? Well, for me personally, I, um, I you know, I, in, in our world, there's a guy named uh, Bill Bacharach, uh, Values-Based Financial Planning, and I mm-hmm. went to his uh, ac- academies for years. I don't know if they're really available, or, or I think they are, but the, they can be quite expensive at this point in time. But uh, basically, there was a system in place, uh, mm-hmm. and I just followed it. So I have this really big. I have this habit of finding people who are more successful than me, and then just doing what they tell me to do. <laughs> Listen, I I have that. I I pay someone more, a lot more than my mortgage payment every single month to help tell me what to do for my business. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's how I've gotten successful. And so that's why my clients pay me and then they're supposed to do what I tell them to do. And you'd be amazed at the, you know, what happens afterwards. So, um, you know, I would say the biggest thing I got was a a coach, Um, you know, a coach in the industry that I, you know, trusted that, you know, seemed to know what he was talking about. And I listened to him. And then, so as I started doing that and I started listening to him, my business started growing. And one of the biggest changes that he had to, you know, was setting expectations for your clients, having rules. I have rules. So even when a client reaches out to me and say, hey, Armand, I would like to hire you. We we do an intro conversation like this and I give them my rules of working with me. So Mm -hmm. you won't work with me unless you follow my rules. And you stop following my rules, we can sever the relationship at any point in time. Um, And just having high expectations, you'd be amazed at how that changes how people react to you. Um, 
And then obviously I got another mentor who really showed me processes and having a process so that I could uh, hire an executive assistant and have them run my business underneath while I'm doing the other things on top. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having a clear process, you know, from when the client comes on to how many meetings you have per year, what those meetings entail, you know, what you do when you want to introduce them to a deliverable, we call them deliverables, subject matter experts, maybe it be insurance or uh, uh, real estate or something along those lines. What mm-hmm. happens and, and how do we track that? We train our clients to copy us on all the emails. Uh, and so we try to be a one-stop shop, even if we're not the one-stop shop, um, uh, to get things done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as far as where I saw it's kind of, it is interesting where I saw the most improvement is where I was improving myself and I was improving my processes. And I was finding the mentors who were able to show me exactly what I needed to do to get to where I was going. Right. So I think it's safe to say if somebody's listening right now and you don't have a mentor, maybe you should uh, take a ride, see what you can find because I agree with you that having a good mentor and listen, there's plenty of mentors that aren't the right fit. You got to vet them. You got to make sure they're the right one for you, that what they do do vibes for you. But I, I agree a hundred percent mentors or coaches or someone who can teach you an effective way of doing business is super, super, super valuable. And I, and I would tell you, uh, none of my mentors have been cheap. None yeah. Of, yeah. No, I mean, I don't want to always say you get what you pay for. Cause I've seen some crazy things, but uh, for the most part, you're, you're right. Good mentors generally aren't cheap. So, and and that, that brings me to another interesting question. So, uh, I don't necessarily charge a fee for my services, but I believe you said you charge a fee for your services. Tell me the pros and cons to that, because I think there's a lot of people out there. I do have a lot of friends who are coaches, advisors, these kinds of things. Uh, it, have you always charged a fee or did you change that? And if you did, I'm interested in how that helped hurt what that did for your business. Uh, so no, when I started off, we did not, uh, we mm-hmm. did not always charge a fee. Uh, I changed when I got my first mentor, uh, Bill Backrack. He was, he was, he was big on charging a fee for, for a plan mm-hmm. and ch- charging a retainer fee. So again, I just did what my mentor told me to do. And I started to do that. What I saw or the, what I, the reason why that changed is for some reason, when clients pay they have skin in the game mm-hmm. and they actually listen to you more. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, why am I paying this guy, you know, $1,500 a year and then not listen to him? <laughs> like, you know, so it's, it, it's kind of interesting. The biggest reason why I charge a fee one is because I, you know, early on, and I'm sure you've had it, people go, Oh yeah, I'm totally committed. I'm totally committed. You, you spent hours, developing a plan and hours doing this. And then they just end up ghosting you afterwards, yep. uh, which is very frustrating. And then the other aspect of it is it is, you know, certain clients just because they don't have any skin in the game. Uh, you know, you're trying to get them to, you know, be proactive about certain things. And it's like pulling a horse out of a burning barn, trying <laughs> to get them to do what you want them to do. And so, uh, you know, I, I know some people don't charge and there's d- different debates on that. Sure. I, you know, for me, I, I feel like I get results. 
yeah. um, by doing it. So, you know, I would never go back to the old ways. Um, even if a client was like, well, I'll, I'll continue listening to you. <laughs> no, no. But then it would be unfair to my other clients who actually pay for the services. So there, there's that. But uh, I think you get uh, res- better results from charging a fee, in my opinion. I agree with that. Yeah. I And I wanted to hear your experience of it because we've had the same experience. Uh, I don't currently charge a fee because of the way that that we do things uh, right up front. The client's going to work with me. They're going to be doing something that we can, you know, we can get benefit from and they are going to place some trust in us really quickly. But uh, I mean, when I first started, we were charging people $25,000 to go through a process. And when people pay 25 grand, they show up for the appointments, they do the homework and they get the results. So everybody wins, but it is, uh, you know, it's a big commitment for them on the front end, but man, we didn't have a lot of no-shows. <laughs> we had a few, but not a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not paying you 25,000 and not showing up. I'm telling you that right now. I might even be at your house. <laughs> I, I had some heart to hearts with people. I'm like, John, listen, you know, this is the, we finally are back on the, on the phone here, but you paid us $25,000. What's going on? You're not showing up. You're not doing the work. Do you want me to just, just not call you anymore? What do you want? And they're like, no, I want it. You know, really it does. It does put a lot of emotion into it and a lot of skin in the game. So I, I think that's a good point for people who, uh, who maybe haven't considered that. I think it's, that's important. And I, I just wanted to share your success with it and kind of hear your perspective. Cause I think it's, it's important and valuable for people. Yeah. I, and I would also tell you, you know, the, the intro meeting that I was talking about earlier to see if there's a fit, you know, that's also the meeting where I tell them exactly how much I charge. Sure. What all my fees are. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I want to do is want to make sure if they actually can't afford me, right? Like I don't want to charge someone something and they can't afford me. Right. So if they can't sure. afford me, I, you know, I don't want anyone upset or feeling like and, and I certainly don't want to be in a position early on in my career. You know, I, I actually accepted a client without a budget and I charged them fifteen hundred dollars. And then when I finally got the budget, they had like fifty dollars unallocated. And so, you know, again, <laughs> now one of my rules, I have to have the budget ahead of time. I need to know what's going on with you. Specifically, so that I don't, because like I I shared with you, I work with middle America, you know, middle income people and up. So sometimes it can be a little tight. And so we're we're trying to help people accumulate assets. And I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you have $80,000 in debt and I'm charging you $1,500. It's just, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to me. You know, maybe we'll work together and try to get you to pay your debt off. Uh, And I've done that a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I certainly don't want to put you in a back predicament thinking that you need to pay me a fee and you can't even afford me. Yep. I, I totally get that. And, and I can appreciate that because you know, the TV hosts who are like, one guy calls in, I've got a million dollars. What should I do with it? And you're like, I don't know. Are you a billionaire? Are you a million dollars <laughs> in debt? You know what? We don't know anything about your situation. And they just give all this advice and you're like, I don't know if that's actually responsible. <laughs> You know, and that's why they don't hold licenses, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, we, we we work really hard to try to, and that's part of the reasons why, again, we set the rules and we make sure that we get their financial documents ahead of time before we provide any advice whatsoever. Sure. And, you know, and I have to be careful about even what I say to you today. I can't say, oh, yeah, you definitely should be doing X, Y, Z. I, I can't even do that. 
Yeah. Well, what we, we can both agree on is people should be saving and paying themselves first. Yes. How's that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Living below their means or at least putting a cap on, uh, on their income. And that's like the biggest thing I tr- at least try to get people to do is, okay, you're at this standard of living. Let's put a cap on it and stop it there. Because I, you know, I've seen it working with clients over the years. Every time you get a pay increase, you're happy for like a month. And then next month you're like, oh my God, where did all the money go? And then you get a pay increase again. And it's just like every, it just, it's just repetitive. And yeah. if you just figure out a way to put a cap on it, okay, well, here's my standard of living. And then when you get a pay increase, hey, we can we can save that that pay increase now. Let's do that, right? Yeah. So that's the goal is to try to get them to start put a cap on it and start saving towards some of those uh, not just retirement because everyone always thinks about retirement, but there's a lot of non-retirement goals, especially with a guy like me with kids, right? So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of non-retirement goals that we have to think about here. You know, I have three little girls; they're all going to want to get married. I know she's, you know, my littlest girl is four years old, but, you know, I have to, you know, plan for a wedding, even though she's four years old. Right. Or even things like Disneyland and all that along the way, right? You got to give them the, uh, the Magic Kingdom experience at least once or twice. Once or twice. So all these little things that people don't think about until, you know, your child reaches for and you go, well, I wanted to take them to Disneyland. Okay. Well, did you set up an account for that? Did you put some money to the side or, you know, are you in credit card debt now? Because, you know, last week when you bought the, the coffee maker that does everything that you wanted to do, you weren't thinking about Disneyland. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I love it. So, this brings up a good point. You told me, let me get the wording right here. Uh, you do family financial planning. So, so how is that different than what a lot of people are teaching out there with just like more of a traditional financial planning? Like, tell me how family really changes that equation. Well, one, uh, I, I want to bring unity into the house. I, I really don't want my clients fighting about money at all. I want everyone to be on the same page. Uh, That's why I I personally require both spouses to be at each uh, appointment, Uh, even and always, always there's one that's talking and one's just kind of sitting there and listening. Yeah, perfectly fine. Uh, But I need them both to understand, you know, how we're making decisions about money. And so, like, I have, you know, certain rules that I work with my clients on as far as whether or not they should, you know, for instance, you know, your spouse may want to buy a house, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you want, you know, a $700,000 house, right? Uh, and I, I, I love using myself as an example. I personally could probably live in a 800, you know, a $600,000 house. And my wife is going to want the $800,000 house. Sure. So how do I tell this beautiful woman that we can't afford the $800,000 house? And so one of the things that we'll do is we'll practice owning the $800,000 house and see if we like the way we live Mm -hmm. at at that standard of living. Can we afford it? Does it cause stress in my life? Does it cause anxiety? Does my wife still like me as a husband with this (laughs) added stress? Yeah. Um, And I really do think that doing these things helps me to be a better father and it helps my wife to be a better mother. And it helps me create space for my children to be in a loving household 
and allows them to focus on the things that they need to focus on to be great. And so what I'm trying to prevent a lot of my clients is creating financial scarcity, Mm -hmm. which is if you feel like you're scarce on money, you have, you basically are adding stress in your life so that you don't focus in on health as much. Maybe you don't focus in on your mental health as much. Maybe it's your spirituality or your physical fitness work, spending time with your children. If you are stressed out, you tend to hyper-focus in on what is stressing you out. Mm-hmm. And so I want to always try to create that slack for my clients to make it go, make it so, you know, if my clients say, hey, you know what? I just got laid off or this happened or whatever. I can say, hey, we can just reduce your investments down. I can just put some extra money into your account. We got this. This is, you know, right. this is what we plan for. This is why you've been living below your means so that we can, we can handle these things that is going to happen and so that you are not stressed. And so I think what I do for a living, which I think is huge, is I'm, I'm cre- helping create better families or uh, they're already great families. Obviously, mm-hmm. everyone is great human beings. But I am creating a, a space so that they can be the best at what they do. So if you're a doctor, you're not worried about your money. You can focus in on that patient. Uh, that patient. If you're a lawyer, you can do what you do. Engineer the whole nine. And I think what we do by creating a place where financial scarcity is no longer an issue, we're building better communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because I say all the time. We help people get money out of the way so you can live the life you're here to live, right? Like really do what you're here to do. So kudos to you. High five. <laughs> so that's why it's a family financial plan. Cause you, you know, you know, as fathers and as parents, we always say, Oh, I, you know, I I give anything, you know, for my children. Okay. Live below your means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Start a budget. It's a four-letter word, start a budget. Yeah. Well, and once again, that's that accountability and structure, right? Like it, it tells you what you are and aren't doing. Uh, and I have found that when I have a budget, good things happen. And when I don't, I'm not really sure where all the money goes. So. <laughs> and, then, and, and then on top of that, you know, uh, you know, we, we've all been there, you know, I'm married, you know, all the money leaves and I'm looking at my wife, like, well, you, you bought, you know, yeah. my, you know, the extra notebooks. I remember when we were young in our marriage, me and my wife, I kid you not, got in a fight over buy, uh, buying Dixie cups. Wow. Because, <laughs> you know, when I, when I wash my mouth out with scope, I use the cap. You know, you yeah, just yeah. use the cap, right? What do you need Dixie cups for? That's a dollar. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I, have, I was that broke at one point, and I know an extra dollar. I was telling my, my girlfriend the, the other day, I bought this blanket that we still have. That's like a little thin little quilt thing that I bought, you know, 15 years ago. And it was on sale at target. It was like a $60 quilt. It was on sale. It was like $25. I was so broke. I paced back and forth of that thing for no less than 90 minutes with that frog you're talking about in my throat. Like, can I afford this? So man, I, I have been there. And when you're in that kind of world, you really need structure. It really really takes a lot of the what ifs out of the equation, makes everything crystal clear because you don't have a lot of room for error. And then if you take those strategies as you grow, you just stay that effective. It's just easy to kind of get soft when things get a little comfortable 
And that's, that's really the key is to develop this thing as a habit. So it doesn't feel like it's a, a rigorous thing. It's just part of how you operate. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and I, we all do. It. And I think we all would, you know, if I could get in a time machine and uh-huh. stop myself and put the Dixie cup on the conveyor belt and buy it and look at me and uh-huh. go, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's a dollar. It's a dollar. It. Yeah. Look at her. Look at the cups. <laughs> You're going to be okay. Okay. Let's get some Dixie cups. Yeah. Yeah, man. Every financial guy I feel like has had that conversation with their significant other. So, (laughs) well, cool. So, so, uh, Armand, this has been really fun. I, I want to kind of ask you one or two more things. First off, before we jump into this last question I have, or this last thing I want to ask you about, uh, tell people again where they can find you online. So two places, crewandfinancial.com or thefinancialeffect.com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm also uh, on Facebook, The Financial Effect. Uh, easily can find me. You can also email me at armon at crewandfinancial.com. Perfect. Perfect. So the last thing I always like to do on the show, Armon, is give you 30, 60, 90 seconds to say anything you want to say related to what we're saying, uh, what we've been talking about or finances or any of that. Uh, just give you a voice to uh, kind of share with the listeners anything that you think is important that you want to share. Oh, absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah. So the, one of the big things I would uh, I would say is goals, goals, goals. You need to set goals. You know, when do you want to buy the house? When do you want to buy that next car? When, when do you want to do that home improvement? Do you want to send your kids to college? How much college are you paying for? And I certainly, certainly would uh, re- reach out and get help from a financial advisor. It doesn't have to be me. It could be any financial advisor, as long as, you know, a good referral source to help you to develop those goals. If you can't do it on your own, after you get those goals, I have five things to help you to make smarter choices with your money, as far as whether or not you can afford to do something or, you know, do what you want to do. Number one, before purchasing a car, one of the questions you really need to ask yourself is, are you in debt at the time of the purchase? And I'm not talking about just a car. We're talking about something that's $500 plus. Are you in debt at the time of the purchase? Um, if you're in debt at the time of the purchase, you shouldn't be buying it. You just shouldn't be buying it. Number two, uh, you always have to ask yourself, especially as a financial leader in your house, can we comfortably afford this? Can we comfortably afford this? Uh, Again, that's where I talk about practicing, owning, having that car payment. If you want to buy a $60,000 car, uh, that's going to be about $1,000 a month of a car payment. Okay. Act like you own the car six months before buying the car. Put $1,000 into your emergency savings account and see if you cannot dip into that. If If you cannot dip into it, you know, then you can afford the car. But then I, I'll ask you to, to ask yourself this third question. Is this a need or a want? So does your family need a $60,000 car or can we get something a little bit cheaper that can do the same thing? Um, you know, you, you have to decipher between the two. Is it really a need or is it a want? If it's a want and, you know, you, you can't comfortably afford it, now, obviously, if your kid needs braces, your kid needs braces. Right. But, uh, you know, other things, it's just a want. It's not, any, yeah, you need a car. You just don't necessarily need a $60,000 car. Right. 
Then the fourth question you want to ask yourself is, do you, uh, does this goal have send positive vibes or has a positive impact on your family? So again, Mm -hmm. you know, does your children really care that you live in a mansion or, you know, you know, or or drive a fancy car or have that coffee maker that does all the cool stuff. So ask yourself that if it's going to cause stress in your family for you having this, then it might not be wise for you to get it. And then lastly, uh, you want to make sure you want to ask yourself, does this cause any constraints on your budget? You know, uh, again, uh, you have to think about the other things that are going to happen in your life, such as your kidneys, braces, school supplies, uniforms, or, you know, uh, stuff for athletic sports and stuff like that. So you have Cars to break down house, yeah. water heaters. Yeah. Yes. And so if it's going to make it tight, if it's going to make it tight, you probably shouldn't do it. So you should sit down with your spouse, ask you the five questions and then, then go from there. Perfect. I love it, man. Awesome. Awesome uh, structure and good questions there. So people should definitely write those down. Well, Armand, I, I appreciate you being here and talking with us and giving some structure and uh, it's been fun to pick your brain and just hear, you know, how you've been able to be successful like you have. So uh, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, sir. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com slash guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag smallbusinessbiglife so we can see that you're sharing the love. And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers to help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com. Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Van Ness, and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business Big Life movement. Now get out there. Create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist.